Hi, I'm Milton Davis, and you're listening to Microphones of Madness. Hey, everybody. Saturday night, Microphones of Madness. It is November the 12th, 2016. It has been a fucked up kind of week. This is Um, the first broadcast from the new America. That's right. Day four. Day four. I'm wearing a hat. You're wearing a hat. (laughs) Because the scar's on my head. And And I've been drinking. So, woohoo! All right, so tonight's topic, um, you know, I mean, other than the fact that we've lost Leonard Cohen. Don't think of it as losing a uh, cultural icon. Think of it as gaining a cheetah. Uh, I'd rather have Leonard Cohen. I mean, I wasn't a big fan, but he was a was a Dharma brother, so... No, I mean, he... I agree, I wasn't, like, a huge Leonard Cohen fan. I'm not gonna go into... I'm not gonna go into the the whole when Lou Reed died mode where I was despondent for weeks on it. Right. But, I mean, he was, like, you know, he was good. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't turn him off. He was talented. Yeah. Not my cup of tea, but yeah. People liked him. People liked him. It's a bright spot in in a dark world. We were we were better culturally for him. Yes, I will agree with that. Um, but tonight's topic is not Leonard Cohen. Nope. It is Nathan Carson's debut. Uh, are they calling this a novel or a novella? I forget. <laughs> Uh, it's a novel. It's we could say it's a novel. It's a novel. It's 158 pages. It's bigger yeah. than bigger than the uh, chapbooks that you get. It has uh, multisyllabic words. That's true. <laughs> and the most psychedelic cover of. That's right. There it is, right there on Steve's <laughs> screen. I'll hold it up so it's on both screens. Hey, it's there. A- we go. Star <laughs> Creek by Nathan Carson, right the there. Metal. Of all novellas. Right. It's the most metal of all novellas. However, the cover is 70s acid rock. It's so metal that I had to go to a metal show to pick up my copy of this book. Right. That's how metal it is. Seriously, they were selling this. um, David Carson plays drums in in a band called... Witch Mountain, very good band. If you get a chance to see them do so, recommend them. Right. But he was selling them at their at the Merc booth on their tour. And when they came to Beantown, I uh, went and got a couple copies of this so we could have the physical books, which we so rarely don't have. That's right. Oh really. Sorry. And he was he he was like don't don't read that copy, read the corrected proof that's gonna actually get printed and published officially. Because this one has typos. And then we have the typo version. And, you know, Nathan, if you're watching, there were more typos in the copy of Weird Company that I picked up at Barnes & Noble than the Witch Mountain Tour version of Saw Creek. So, 
But yeah, I mean, first off, before we even get into the book itself, how about that cover? I know. Look at that. That's that's pretty badass. I mean, I would almost make this my Facebook avatar. Yeah. Because, I mean, this is cool. Is it like, and the back cover's got that eye. Who's the back cover? Yep. The back cover, yeah. I mean, how cool is that? Oh, it says novella on the back, by the way. Oh, all right, novella. There you go, yep. that's official. It's a novella. That's right. Uh, yeah, set 1986, rural Oregon. And uh, now... We're going to be spoiler-free. Yeah, we're going to try as... We, made as a, we took a valid spoiler freedom. To say this, to do this without spoilers, because this book actually releases to the general public on the 15th, so three days from now. That's uh, That will be Tuesday. So, yeah. Once, once you uh, find out what this book is like, go out and grab a copy. It's published by Lazy Fascist Press, yeah. home of the Golden Mustache. Looks right a little there. orange to me. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know, I wonder. You know, it looks kind of like Joe Pulver's mustache. <laughs> well, I, I wonder about, if that was deliberate. I don't know about fascism, but Pulver's not lazy. That's true. But remember, ladies and gentlemen, the best fascist is a lazy fascist. That's right. All right. So into the meat of the book. We can only hope. We can only hope. Steve, who did you vote for? It's not easy (laughs) being cheesy. (laughs) Chester Cheetah will be the new national animal, by the way. Nice. Now, now, before we even really, before once again, before we get into the meat of the book, I really have to say that because we're spoiler free, our best jokes are spoilers, so we can't do them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So forgive us if the episode is not as funny as some of the other episodes. We'll try. We'll, we'll still try. I mean, we could still talk about some things because, like, the cover of the book. Yeah, the cover of the book gives away some things, but, you know, there's no real context. Yeah, yeah, and it's not really critical. Right. It's got these mushroom creatures with chicken legs. Baba Yaga mushrooms. Baba Yaga mushrooms. So, like, the Smurfs version of Baba Yaga? La, 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 la. We've also got skeletal. Drag your soul into eternal darkness and despair. Yeah. Well, so okay, so 1986 World War. Never been there. Right. And even with a time machine, I don't I'm not sure I would. <laughs> not if what goes on in here is any indication of not, what not without like. not without Firestorm and Sarah Lance. <laughs> <laughs> so um well, this is basically spoiler for it. Um you have a several different groups of people who are whose events are converging with each other. Right. You have, and that this is what freaked me out because 
here's a spoiler. I'm afraid of rednecks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it might be like an irrational fear of rednecks. Maybe. So the, the main, the villains in the piece or the foils are this redneck cult. Mm-hmm. Run by a man named Puppy. Yeah, Puppy. And his sister, Kitty. Kitty. Because their mama wasn't all that creative with words. No, but she was a high priestess in a cult. That's correct. Now, so you, have, you have these guys. Right. Freaky, because they live on this compound of trailers that... Um, they live over a, a connecting series of tunnels mm-hmm. so they can get anywhere they need to go like that. Right. Freaky. All right. Very, very, uh, very reminiscent of Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. kind of aesthetic where you have like just a, a huge group. It, it focuses on these two, but there's like a group of just crazy redneck cultists who can be anywhere they want to be at any time and they're totally badass and have absolutely no compunctions about tying you to a tree, beating the crap out of them. Right. And then and, you. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of your, you know, I guess the, these, these, these iconic groups of the, the West and the rural areas of the United States, you have your rednecks you have your biker gang. As a matter um, of fact, you can even go to the Cursed Earth and see the Angel Gang and Judge Dredd uh, comics, and very similar to that as well, mm-hmm. minus the cannibalism. Yeah, I mean, this the book itself is really... I, I, I really hate to say it this way, but it, it really is. It's kind of a love letter to the 80s. Yeah. I mean, there there are so many elements at play that make up the story. Uh, you know, there were times that was reminiscent of the Goonies. There were times it was reminiscent of uh, a lot of these these eighties, you know, films. I mean, like you said, you brought up Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was a late seventies film. Um, sequels in the eighties. Um, there, you know, there's there's a little bit of ET in there. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and really it's like stranger things, but more interesting. It's kind of got that, whereas the kids in stranger things were, were, uh, archetypes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and remember when stranger things hit, everybody was talking about was stranger things. If the kids in stranger things were a D D party, who would be what class? Right, and because they're icons, and it's very easy to do that. The kids in this book, there's a group of two groups of kids actually, right, um, who are who are involved, and they are flawed. I mean, even mm-hmm. like the ten year old kids are are semi shitty people, right. And then the older kids, the teenagers, are they're the type of teenagers that I. And me and my friends were. Right, right. Uh, we said this about his story in Madness of uh, Dr. Caligari, that, that you know, the characters in that story were us and our friends. And in a lot of ways, the main characters of Star Creek were also us and our friends. 
um, you know, I grew up in a little town, you know, in the deep South, but it's still very, you know, seeing the, the, the primary characters, uh, you know, Braun, Allen and Kira, we can, we can say their names. Yeah. That's not a spoiler. Um, you know, these, these are characters that, you know, that I, people like I remember from when I was in high school, when I was in you know college. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing they—I they, mean, this isn't really a spoiler. They plan this after this all-day acid exploration, right? Because yeah. this is summer. There's no school, right. and that's the kind of shit I used to do. Right, day tripping. Right. Yeah. So, but I mean, we we were. I've talked told you this before. Uh, we used to go into the steam tunnels underneath the school. Mm-hmm. In Madison, Wisconsin, um, hide a shit on acid with flashlights, just seeing what happened and where we would end up. Right, where and you would end up, what you would see. Yeah, and that, that's what these guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean these these kids are definitely definitely uh, what you would consider to be psychonauts. Right. Um. You know, and and they are D and D players, and it's interesting that you make the 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 D and D analogy of you know this is how it was perceived. That is actually a direct reference in the book, as they, you know, decided amongst themselves what classes they were. Right, but now with them doing that, it's kind of like regular people sitting around shooting the shit about that. Right. I mean, everybody used to do that, and mm-hmm. and you have this idealized uh, vision of yourself as your class, as a paladin or a ranger or whatever. You're not that, and these kids certainly are not that, right? Because because one thing that Nate, may I call you Nate? One thing uh, Nathan Carson is good at is creating believable characters. Oh yeah. Everyone is believable. I mean, everyone is, you know, they're believable in this almost like collective consciousness sort of way. Right. You read the description of a character, you read their dialogue, you, you, you know, read the narration of what they're doing and their personality. And it's, you have encountered someone like this at some point in your life. Right. And I'm sure he probably based his characters on people he knew. That's right. So Nathan I'm waiting for him to say it came all whole cloth from his mind like a Fina or something, but Right, 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 right. He may none of these characters are actually based on anyone. They're 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 completely fabrications of Nathan's mind. Well now something like Stranger Things those and don't get me wrong, I liked Stranger Things. I was totally on that bandwagon. But the characters in Stranger Things were more um, nerd archetypes, right? As opposed to believable characters, mm-hmm. right? And you, you, these guys are believable, um, and they get into some rather harrowing situations. Uh, one thing I will say is that the pacing of this book is is breakneck. I mean, I, I really am not sure that this would work as like a quote-unquote, full-length novel. 
but the way it's written, it's paced perfectly. Um, you know, each chapter, each time he focuses on one group of characters, you know, you, you're left. Okay. That is, you know, uh, the scene right there. You know, there's, there's very little, you know, that you could add and there's really nothing you could take away. It's a very efficient, uh, prose style. It's, it's yeah. very, the, sh- the chapters are short. Chapters are short. I think the longest one might have been seven pages. Mm-hmm. If that. Uh, it's right. a short, sharp shot. Yes. It, it goes in, it does what it needs to do, and then it goes on to the next one. Mm-hmm. It doesn't waste time um, with fluff. Right. There are no frivolous descriptions of things. It's yeah, he doesn't he doesn't spend pages and pages describing what people are eating mm-hmm. or what they're wearing. Right. Um, it's just In fact, I don't think he ever really describes what anyone is wearing. Uh, but but he described but the way the characters are fleshed out, you can pretty much costume them in your mind. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and it works out well. Um, well, it's because, like you said, they're part of your collective uncon- your collective consciousness, mm-hmm. our collective consciousness. We've met these guys before as an amalgam of of just different people that we've met. Right, right, and and those those ghostly images in the back of your mind of these people that you barely remember that right. fit the archetype become the models for the characters. Right, and I think that's you know that's that's very interesting technique in storytelling. Mm-hmm is to only give the reader enough and let their own mind and their own memory fill in the blanks. And I think that connects the reader to the character in a much better way than full descriptions of what a character looks like, what they're wearing, how they walk and stuff like that. Right. Well, it's funny because one of my big complaints about films mm-hmm. Putting putting something that was originally um, a story to film is it really it ruins it for you, right? So no matter how you grew up thinking of of uh, Frodo, mm-hmm. it's well now you have um, Elijah Wood is Frodo, and then right. and even if you can actively take that image, arrest it, and change it that's still the first thing that's coming to your mind. Right, right. It's and, like you can't read whether you're reading Lord of the Rings or Lord, or The Hobbit. As soon as Gandalf comes in on the page, it's Surian McKellen. And when he talks, it's Surian McKellen. Exactly. <laughs> and, and even to a certain extent, when in a lot of um, stories and prose where it's overly descriptive, you, you, you narrow down that image of a character in your mind. Right. And, and this, you don't get that with this. You get right. to use your full imagination to fill in the blank however you want it. Mm-hmm. No, nope. Nobody's race is described. Nope. Nobody's hairstyle. No, nobody's t-shirt preferences. Nothing. Right, and you get to fill it all in, 
mm-hmm. which is, if you think about it, that's kind of amazing. Right. And you get, I mean, even even to the point where, you know, these, these the, the older kids, Braun, Allen, and Kira, are, are described as metal fans. But, you know, what they listen to isn't always, I think there's only a couple of songs mentioned right. in the book. And see what they were. Right. It was there were only a couple of songs. And it was very early on. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're even left to fill in the blanks if you are a you know, have were a listener to metal and, and hard rock of those days. Well you know they were listening to Witch Mountain all the time. All the time. The entire <laughs> soundtrack is this this book was done by Witch Mountain. It was. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but still, I mean, you know, also, yeah, actually, Nathan, if you are watching or you catch this later, you know, shoot us a message either in the email, uh, microphonesofmadness at gmail.com or over on one of our Facebook page and, and let us know what the soundtrack to this book is because there are a lot of sequences that seem like they were written to particular pieces of music. Um, you know, cause each one has a certain beat. And I think that's one of the other strong points of this book is that each chapter, um, th- though they are short chapters, it's almost like if you had a playlist, you could put together a playlist to read this book by and each chapter is a different song because there are different beats in the chapter itself. It's all, they're all set to different tempos, different time. Right. Um, you know, well, even, you know, different sound of, of music. It's kind of a, an abstract way of providing like a leitmotif mm-hmm. for the different sets of characters. Yeah. Because each, each group gets their own uh, writing style, pacing. Mm-hmm. So it's very... It's uh, I'm glad you, you pointed that out because it, it was like kind of in the back of my mind, but right. that's, I'm, I'm sh- well, I'm not sure, but it would make sense for him to be listening to different bands while writing different parts of this. Right. Right. To get different moves, which is fantastic. Very mm-hmm. effective. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and it's almost like, you know, if you are musically inclined, you could, Almost, you know, and you watch a lot of films, listen to a lot of music. You can almost begin to fill in the the scoring to to this piece because you know, like a lot of the books we've read and we've really enjoyed, Star Creek is also very cinematic. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. A lot more, a lot more cinematic than than uh, this style of of. Uh, weirdness generally is. Well, usually with the weird fiction, you get very, it's very dry. It's it's very dry. It's very literary. Yes, or or and not even so much as literary, but um, almost pretentious. Almost, yeah. uh, almost reaching. Well, pretentious is the wrong word, but reaching. Um, Further than 
the content lends itself to. Mm -hmm. um, right. and, and it, you know, my, my dad doesn't, doesn't like weird fiction. He doesn't like Lovecraft, thinks it's shitty. He thinks it, he thinks it's pretentious because you have these ideas that are conveyed um, through, through language that is, that you need to decipher. You can't just skim over like a, right. a Clark Aston Smith story or a Lovecraft story or even like a Robert E. Howard story because they're all, you know, they're all, I guess, punching up. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's an acquired taste, whereas this is very uh, salt of the earth. Mm -hmm. Very straightforward. Not, uh, not, not to say that it isn't well written, because it is. It's just not right. being... It's breaking that mold of of uh, using using the, the quarter words when the dime word will do. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's not to not to discredit it as being simplistic or anything like that, but it's it's written very efficiently. Yes, I think I think is is probably the word. That we're going for. Well, you and, can sit down and with, with music on, or maybe even the TV going on in the background, mm -hmm. and read this book and 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 get everything. Right, right. And not have to go back and reread passages. You can't do that with Lovecraft. I mean, you really have to be there. You really have to be paying attention to it because it's not. It's not how you you think. Or at least me, it's not how my thought process goes, and it's not how my 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 speech goes. That's just not how I process and think. Right. Um, and 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 also and also, this book is very. It's it's not the type of book that aims at being quotable. Although there are some great little one-liners here and there. You know, we can't say because that would be a spoiler. Right, those would be spoilers, but you know, expect them. Um, you know, because you know, Carson also one of the things that we we found, you know, not necessarily in the story that he did for Sword versus Cthulhu, which was a very bleak and and dour story, even though we enjoyed that one greatly. Story in the madness of Doctor Caligari had that wicked sense of humor. I'll tell you that story. Um, from Caligari mm -hmm. really made me uh, want to read more of Nathan Carson's work. Oh yeah, yeah, because he he does he does that <laughs> with the with the familiarity of the characters, mm -hmm. and he also, like I said, he has that wicked sense of humor. That you know, there's there's these little these subtle jokes, and. And little things, little references here and there, and it's it's like barbs that that you know if, if you if you know what you're looking for, you get them, um, you know. But it's if like you don't you had to be there, man. Mm -hmm. You really and, had to be there. And I will say this: I will say this because you know we can't spoil the ending, but the ending, you know, like. It's almost like Nathan wants to fuck with the reader. 
by the time you get to the... I don't think it's an almost. Oh, you think, he, you think he's <laughs> deliberately fucking with you when he gets oh, to the end? Yes, most definitely. Because, uh, uh, and I'll tell you why. Because um, his story in Swords versus Cthulhu had a very similar ending. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that, in, see, in, that's, that's like a backhanded spoiler. Well, well, you got to read both of them then. That's right. You had, they had very similar endings, but the tone was completely different. Mm-hmm. In uh, the Swords v. Cthulhu one, it, it was it was bleak, right? And this one was more like, huh? Wait, 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 wait a minute! And I had to go back. I had to reread the the last chapter or so just to make sure what I read was what I read, right? And you know, in in some ways, you want to you get to the end of this book, and you want to you want to say, "Fuck you, Carson! <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, man!" But you know, I honestly, I did laugh out loud once I got to the, the end of this book. Yeah, of course, it's it's hilarious. It, it is. It is absolutely hilarious because because of the way he paces this book. It sucks you right in, and then you're just like, oh, you bastard. And then there's that brick wall. <laughs> and, yes. Yeah, and, which, is, which is great. It's, it's, that's, if for nothing else, getting to the end of this book is, is probably one of the most satisfying things about it, is, 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 is finishing it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that sounds that sounds kind of bad in a way, I guess. You know, it's like, oh yeah, the best thing about this book was when it was over. But and it's true though. It that's that's the best moment. It's just like, and you just sit there. You no, know, he has. It's really cool because he has such a the way he created the characters, mm-hmm. and the way you end. I don't want to give anything away, but the way you end up feeling about these characters and the way it ended. It's perfect. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, I would kind of go as far as to say that his his narrative style is is similar to uh, Balaganoji Tade's. He has that very, mm-hmm. narr- you know, beneath the shining jewel, We one it's of the very, first things we said about it is very cinematic. Yeah. But it's also... It's like a storyteller yeah, as very, opposed to the novelist. Right. Exactly. I mean, this is a story... Of course, I was going to read a bit, and I opened up to the part where um, Alan's having his wet dream. Oh, of course. <laughs> See, there you go. There's a wet dream in here. Of course, there's a wet dream. Um, you're talking about teenagers, and and yeah, that's that's the great thing about it is you know it is more along the lines of I'm not reading a book. I'm you know participating in this I'm reading a story treatment for a film I'm listening to a guy at a bar telling me a story about these kids you know in Oregon right and here's here's another cool thing that I don't know if you noticed this mm -hmm. it's been one of my big complaints is that when you write something like this and you, you hit those Lovecraft beats and and 
they're very like, oh, here comes Cthulhu, because really has come, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's very, it's cliche now. Mm-hmm. The way he works, and th- this is in no way, shape, or form uh, Lovecraftian pastiche at all. Mm-hmm. At all. But he does work in some elements, and he does it in a very tongue-in-cheek way. Because it is describing the unknown by using the familiar, and the familiar is is um, meta. It's Lovecraft, mm-hmm. so he'll describe something as squalor, um, and it it's not that, right. <laughs> I, I can't say it any other way without giving away parts of the story. Right. And we want you guys, you know, who are listening to this, to this audio uh, prior to the book's release. And even after the book's release, you're debating on it. You're thinking about it saying, Hey, well, you know, maybe I should check this out. Definitely check this out. Um, you know, I'm not sure, you know, I, I couldn't find a, a lot of information about the release just yet. Be, I guess because it is hasn't officially dropped. Right. Um, yeah, well, the only people who have that are the ARC people. Right. And the people who went to see... Which Mountain. Which Mountain. And it was Witch Mountain and St. Vitus and Skull. Right. And people who know people who went to see Witch Mountain. Right. That's true. And which mountain was the best of the three? At least in Cambridge. All right. Yeah. So, plug yeah. which mountain? Plug which mountain? Check which out mountain? which mountain. Go see which mountain for all your doom. Doom. I'm going to sing the doom song. Which mountain's got that like swinging, slow. Black Sabbath-ish thing going on really well. I mean, nice. very, very good. Right, sorry, that's my plug from which mountain. Yeah, so so you'll buy the CD, but uh, you're a little too old for the live show. Man, I had to put on a new book. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I lost 30% of my hair for like a week. Rock and roll, baby. Rock and roll. I gotta get get my my wheelchair out. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, fifteenth. That is Tuesday. Uh, Star Creek by Nathan Carson drops. Yeah. Publication of Lazy Fashion Press. And uh, yeah, we both recommend you'll it. The, you'll get the the uh, corrected text. Mm-hmm. You, you lucky people. You won't we get the, the collector's text. edition with all the mistakes. Yeah. That's because that's what makes it the collector's edition. <laughs> so yeah, I'm definitely get out there, check this book out, um, and we are really excited to see stuff from Nathan in the future. Yeah. So yeah, thumbs Rising up. Rising star. Rising star. Rising star. And a right. hell of a drummer. And a hell of a drummer. All right, so that does it for this week's episode of Mike Rounds of Madness. Yeah. 
We'll be back next week with something. I'm not sure what we're doing next week. I know now it's like, whoa, our schedule ended. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, Monday night, we'll be back live, 9.30 Eastern Time. Wolfman Jack. That's right. Wolfman Jack. Uh, we'll be playing Call of Cthulhu with Time for Harvest. Um, yeah, so we'll be doing that on Monday. Nick Nicario will be running us through the paces in a time for harvest. Uh, Friday, there will be more Friday Fungi. I believe they're still in the Weird West. Weird, weird West. West. And, uh, yeah, and we'll be back next Saturday to talk about something. I haven't decided yet. Dun, dun, dun. Dun. So until then... I would say say goodnight, Gracie, but it's just you and me. So say goodnight, Stephen. Goodnight, Stephen. <laughs> goodnight, everybody. Goodnight.